All right, grab your Bibles, and we're going to look. By the way, let me just note this. I'm going to put the text mix right here. I will be watching it after service. All right, don't try to steal my text mix. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, grab your Bible. We are, as we have been doing, going to hop around to a few places this morning, but we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 6 before we hop back uh, to the book of John. 1 Corinthians 6, and we're going to uh, read verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 6. Verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? This is the word of of the Lord. So we've been going through, you can see from the outline, we've been working all our way through, and we've been talking, we've been in the sermon series for a long time, and this is the last Sunday. It's been a very productive sermon series, though. And having talked about eternity for the last uh, couple weeks, what I want to close on has to do with um, the motivation and uh, the, the desire that we should have in living our lives um, for Christ in thinking of the rewards that he has promised. And if you have your sermon outline, I want to start at that point this morning with what I think is a problem for many of us. The reward aspect of final judgment motivates few Christians. The reward aspect of final judgment motivates few Christians. So a lot of this has to do with misunderstanding, and and it goes all the way back to the entire chart that we were dealing with in looking at all the ways that we misunderstand eternity, in particular the idea that we just go off into heaven and we stay there for forever, as opposed to the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem that we've talked about. But as we think about the reward aspect of what uh, we we discussed several weeks ago, where uh, those that are unsaved are judged based on their sins, but for Christians, we are judged, of course we've been saved, but we are judged for rewards, whether we will be rewarded or not be rewarded. And so that's should be something that we pay a lot of attention to because that's the thing that we're going to be evaluated on. Um, and so we want to live our lives in such a way you would hope that we would be rewarded. And, let, and yet for a lot of us, when we think about eternity, the phrase I hear all the time is, yeah, I, I, just, I really don't care as long as I make it. Well, we need to care more than just if we make it. Obviously, we want Christ in our lives so we can make it, but Christ has given us great things into our lives and we want to have something to show for that. And so what I want to talk about this morning has to do with that reward aspect of it. And my my goal as we close out this series is for us to understand better what exactly it means uh, that he intends to reward us and what we need to do now in order to be able to receive that reward. We're going to look at several passages. And if you have your Bibles, flip back with me. We're going to start. We'll be right back here in 1 Corinthians in a second. We're going to start in John chapter Five. Flip back to John 5 with me for a second. John chapter 5, and I want to look at verse 22. John 5, 22. There Jesus is speaking, and he says this, Moreover, the Father judges no one, 
but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. So getting motivated, the first point is this. Jesus will judge the world because the Father has committed all judgment to him. Jesus will judge the world because the Father has committed all judgment to him. So in this passage, we see Jesus saying that the Father, when we speak of that final judgment, and this is true both for non-Christians and for Christians, that at final judgment, people will not be judged by the Father, but rather the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. Now, there's a point I want to make about that we'll get to in just a second, but let's just pause for a second. I think it's worth noting, a lot of times when people talk about standing before God someday, well, I know we're all going to be judged. We'll all stand before God someday. And that um, is a little bit different in the way that they kind of think of it because they're just kind of thinking of God broadly. There's a little more edge to it, and it's a little bit sharper when you go from, well, we're all going to stand before God someday, to we will all be judged by Jesus. There's a little bit more of an edge to that. And so we need to understand, going to what it says there, that is the one who will do all final judgment, both for Christians and for non-Christians. Now, the, the issue that creates is, we, we understand that, but a moment ago we read in 1 Corinthians 6, it talked about the saints judging the, the world. And so we need to understand, or we need to try to figure out, okay, is Jesus going to judge the world, or are we going to judge the world? Well, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and... Let me bring up the second thing I want to talk about, and hopefully we can start to make some sense out of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1 and 2. Let me go ahead and give you the point, and then we'll unpack this verse, or these verses. So point number two is this. Christians have an opportunity to rule with Christ in the kingdom of God. Kingdom, or Christians have an opportunity to rule with Christ in the kingdom of God. So we need to unpack this passage a little bit to understand it. So first of all, the context, we're going to pull a small point out of this, but the larger context here, which is a different sermon, is that in Corinth, a lot of the believers within the church were taking each other to court. And, and so they would have an argument with somebody that was in the church, and they would go off to the secular court, and they would ask that person to judge. And the point that Paul is making here is, isn't there anybody wise enough in your church to be able to handle that situation and render some kind of a judgment instead of you guys having to go before non-Christians and, um, and get your judgment there. So let's go ahead and read those two verses, and then um, we'll, we'll unpack the one little piece I'm most interested in. If any of you has a dispute with another, and that's speaking of another person in the church, do you dare to take it before the ungodly, that's somebody outside the church, for judgment, instead of before the Lord's people? Or... Do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? We're going to talk about that in just a second. And if you are competent to judge the world, and I'm, I'm sorry, and if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? So, in, in the point he's making here about judgment, let me just say this, and this is true of a number of things. We like to say, oh, we're Bible people, we believe the Bible. Let's just acknowledge we don't follow this when it comes to that particular thing. We will sue another Christian in the regular courts uh, all the time if we need to, and nobody thinks to say, okay, wait a second, we're both believers. Let's find somebody wise within the church that we trust, and we'll just go before that person and let them render judgment so, we, so that we don't go before the world and ask them to, uh, to bring, the, uh, bring the judgment. So 
we need to acknowledge verses 1 and 2 in general, this is something we're just like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that, which is wrong. The, the point for the sermon this morning, that was a little bonus sermon for you there. You're welcome. Uh, verse 2 says this, and he just says it in passing, but a lot of times we don't um, understand what it means. Beginning of verse 2 says, Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? Okay, what does that mean? Because so, we go back to John chapter 5, Jesus says the Father has given all judgment to the Son. So that says that the Son is going to judge, and then here it says that the Lord's people are going to judge. So how do we bring those two together? And it's important that we understand in order to bring those two together that, that the, the word judge here has a different edge to it in each one. In, in the first one, Jesus is speaking of final judgment, uh, the judgment for non-Christians, the great white throne judgment, and the judgment for Christians, the Bema judgment. So at both of those. And then also going forward in ruling the world, and this is the key part, we talked a few weeks ago about the fact that with uh, the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem, that Jesus will rule the world in that day, in addition to the millennium that comes before that. And in that time, he will rule. We also talked a little bit about the fact that we will rule with Christ. And that those of us who are Christians, as we have lived our lives, having been judged, and having been rewarded based on how we, we lived our lives, we'll talk more about that in a minute, we will be rewarded according to what authority and what position we will have in that kingdom that is to come. And so when he says there in verse 2, or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world, he's not speaking of final judgment, but rather he's speaking of the kingdom that is to come, he's speaking of the world that is to come, and the fact that we will judge with Christ, we will rule with Christ, in that world. Uh, flip with me over to Revelation for a second. I want to look at two verses um, just to kind of put an, or just to, to kind of help to understand um, what that judgment will look like a little bit. So, Revelation 21, and then we'll look at Revelation 22. So, there is a kingdom that is to come. There's going to be a new Jerusalem we talked about. That will be where we live. And then the new Jerusalem, there will be a new earth, and there's a reason for the new earth. There will be people on the new earth. Revelation 21, um, verse 24. The nations will walk by its light, speaking of the city. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. So we are here after the new Jerusalem. We're after final judgment. We're after the new Jerusalem has come onto the scene and the new earth, and it's referring to people on the earth and kings on the earth. And so we don't have a ton of information about this, but we know that there will be people on the earth and that we as the believers in Christ who have come through that final judgment, we will rule with Christ, we will judge with Christ those that are on the earth. Same idea in Revelation 22, verses 2 and 3. It says, down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. So there again we have another reference to the, um, the people on the earth, the nations on the earth. And so there is work to be done. And as we think about what is to come, uh, to go to an idea we've talked about a few times now, we don't sit around on clouds with nothing to do in heaven, but rather we will be ruling with Christ 
over those that are on the earth. We will be judging with Christ. And so Jesus does the final judgment, but then 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2, we will be a part of ruling with Christ. Now, as we understand that, there should be some level of interest in that, which brings us to the third point, and that's this. Consider the excitement that comes with being invited to be part of a great company or team or effort. A great company or team or effort. So, as we think about what Jesus is doing here, and we think about this kingdom that is to come, think about the opportunities in this life where we have the chance to, to go and be a part of something that is an incredible, let's go with a, a, a school for a second. Um, you have the opportunity, as, as you come out of high school, you're looking at different colleges, and, and there's one that you really want because it's an excellent school, and you really want to go there, or your child or grandchild really wants to go there, and then they get in. And they're so excited because they know what that place can do and, and, and how terrific it is. Um, let's say there, there's somebody who, there's a basketball team or a football team, let's go with the football team, that makes states the year before. And then you go out for that team the next year, and you, you end up making varsity for that team, and you're like, I made varsity on a team that made states last year. And you feel like you're really something because you know this is a well-coached, great team. Okay, in this world, especially right now, it feels like everything is messed up. It feels like the world is a mess and everything's falling apart. And even though we need to work within trying to redeem the world now and fix the world now, I look forward to being a part of a world where Jesus is in charge. To, of being part of a world where Jesus is ruling. And, and one of the beautiful things is not just there that we're like, all right, good, you take care of that. I'm going to go over here and finally rest because I'm tired of all the, the junk that I had to deal with in this life. But instead, Christ invites us in to be a part of that ruling. Look with me uh, back in Matthew chapter 18 for just a second. No, let's go to Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16 for just a second. There's a, a famous passage there that, that references... Um, what I'm talking about here. In Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19. Matthew 16, 18 and 19. This will be familiar to you. And I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There's a lot there with Peter stepping forward, and, but the, the big idea I want to draw out for just a second is that Jesus likes to delegate. Jesus likes to delegate his power. And so here we see, we know, of course, shortly after his resurrection, Jesus will 40 days later ascend, and he will leave Peter and the other disciples in charge. And of all the, the ways that he could have done it, he chooses to delegate his power and say, okay, now, I have, I've done what I had to do. I, I sacrificed myself for your sins and then raised from the dead to overcome death. I've taught you. I've led you for these three years. Now I'm going to leave, and I'm giving my power to you. Remember in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, all power I give to you. Now go, and then he gives the Great Commission. And so here again we see Jesus saying, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He gives us the keys to the kingdom. And then, continuing that verse, he gives us his authority. He gives us his power. The point is, 
Jesus loves to delegate his power. He loves to give into those that he loves and, and to say, now you guys go and do great things. I'll empower you, I will strengthen you, but you guys go and do amazing things. And that's what we see not only here in the church age, but as we go forward in what we were talking about in the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem, there again we see Jesus not just saying, okay, you guys are done, go rest for forever, you don't have to do anything anymore, but rather we have a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, we have people on the world, on the earth that need to be ruled and judged, and he again says, now go, I want you to continue to do great things. So as we have this opportunity to be a part of the kingdom that he is starting, and we think of how incredible that's going to be, and all that Jesus will do, the question then is, okay, how do I live now in light of wanting to be a part of what Jesus is going to do then? Flip with me over to Luke chapter 16. This will be our final scripture that I want to look at this morning. Luke chapter 16. So, as we understand that this world is not just biding time, but he is paying attention to us. We are, to, we are to, to be living for Jesus so that someday as we stand before him, as he looks at us, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, and give us a position of authority that is something that we can be proud of and not ashamed of. As we think of all that, how do I live today knowing that I will stand before him and be judged for a reward someday, and I want that judgment to go well so that as I go into the kingdom that is to come, um, I can be excited uh, about the fact that I, I live my life well in what Christ has given to me in looking toward that kingdom. Well, in Luke chapter 16, verses 10 and 11, it says this, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? The fourth thing is this. The principle of selection is faithful in little, faithful in much. Faithful in little, faithful in much. So in verse 11, he refers to worldly wealth because before this, going back to chapter 16, verse 1, all the way down through, he's telling a parable that has to do with money, and it has to do with uh, uh, somebody that is, is, um, is handling money uh, in a way that, that is questionable. And so that's the reason that verse 11 specifically refers to worldly wealth. I think it's true not only for our wealth in this world, I think it's also true for our time in this world. It's also true uh, for our talents in this world. Verse 10 says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. This is a really important idea because for so many of us, we look around and we're like, I'm not Billy Graham. You know, Billy Graham preached to thousands, millions of people, and I'm not going to be him. We look at somebody who's an incredible singer and we say, well, you know, man, they could go sing on any stage in the world, and I'm not like them. Or, or we look at the person we think of who is just the, the most godly person and has this incredible amount of mercy and grace, and we're like, well, I don't feel like I'm ever going to be like that. And so a lot of us just kind of sit back, and, well, you know, why, why should I even try? Because I, I can't do as much as all these people who do these incredible things. And it's important to understand what it says there in verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. 
What God is going to judge us by with regard to our rewards is not, did you do as much as Billy Graham? Did you do as much as that incredible singer who sung on stages around the world? But rather, given what God put into our lives, the money, the time, the relationships, the spiritual gifts, as we think about those, what did God do, or what did you do with what God gave you? Let's use the money example for a second. I was reading the other day um, that on average, people making $15,000 a year average giving about 10% of their money away to charity. 15,000, 10%. People making $150,000 a year on average give only 5% of their money away. Now, that idea I think is true in a lot of areas. You don't have to be somebody that is the most gifted person who can do incredible things. You just have to take what God gave you and be faithful in that. And even if as you are faithful in that, maybe you never become that Sunday school teacher that, that is the best Sunday school teacher that anybody's ever seen, but you are faithful to teach those kids week in and week out and to pray for those kids. Maybe it's going to your neighbors and showing that hospitality where you go and you, you, whenever they're struggling or, or, or whenever they're having a hard time. You go and you take them something to eat and let them know that you're praying for them. Whatever it may be that our gifts are, whatever it may be that our opportunities are, it doesn't matter whether God gave you incredible opportunities or relatively small opportunities. What matters is, what did you do with what God gave you? And when we stand before Him someday, He's not going to say, listen, you didn't do as much as Billy Graham, so you're going to be all the way down. But rather, were you faithful in a little? If you were then I'm going to, I know you'll be faithful in much, and I'm going to reward you with much. Um, I firmly believe, I deeply believe, that when we someday are at the wedding supper of the Lamb, and I don't know if this is how it works or not, but if at the wedding supper of the Lamb, if there is a table up front with those who have been the most faithful um, and, the, and, and have done the, the most with what they had for Christ, I really believe sometimes we'll say, well, well, you know, that would be, let's see, Billy Graham and Mother Teresa, and we kind of go down through the names. I firmly believe that the people that would be at that table would be people we've never heard of. People who, who served, maybe in really small ways, in some corner of the world somewhere where there was never a news article written about them, nobody ever uh, wrote a song about them. And yet, in their little corner of the world, maybe with great gifts and maybe with small gifts, they gave everything that they had to Jesus Christ. And in that way, when they are faithful in maybe just a very little, or maybe faithful in much, when they were faithful in just very little, God then, as they go into the kingdom, they will be rewarded with great authority and opportunity because they were faithful in little. And so this morning, the question isn't, as we think about our lives, well, you know, can I do as much as so-and-so? Can I do as much as that person? But just when you look at what God has given you, the money, the spiritual gifts, the time, the friendship, with what God has given you, what are you doing with that to honor and glorify Jesus Christ? How do we, how do we live in order to, to bring that about? Let me put it in one statement, and I'll close with this this morning. The one statement is this, how that changes things. Live for an audience of one. Live for an audience of one.
That one, of course, is Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what other people think about me. It doesn't matter whether others praise me or, or, or put me down. As long as I'm living for Jesus and I'm doing everything that I can to honor and glorify Him and to take the resources that He has given me in order that when I stand before Him someday, He says, you were faithful with what I gave you. You were faithful in little. Now I'll put you over much. Then whatever everybody else says doesn't really matter. And this morning as we think about our lives, we need to stop and ask, are we living in such a way where we are going to honor and glorify Jesus Christ? Or do I want the popularity of those around me? And do I want people that, uh, that look at me to, to think highly of me as opposed to focusing on what does Jesus think of me? At the end of the day, there's an opportunity for us when we stand before Jesus someday based on the life that we've lived to either be rewarded greatly to be able to rule with Him or to be rewarded very in a very small way. It's based on how we are faithful in this life. Not how much we have, but how we are faithful in this life with what God has entrusted to us. How are you doing this morning with what God has entrusted to you? Father, I thank you that you give us the privilege of being able someday to rule with Christ. I pray that we would recognize the need to do all that we can with what you have given us now. To honor him, to glorify him, to praise him, to lift him up. Father, help us to be encouraged this morning, no matter how little we may feel like we have. It doesn't matter as long as we use it to glorify you, to glorify your Son. I pray in Jesus' name. And amen.